Well, we've gone and done it again, apparently. We've gotten ourselves into a new epidemic, monkeypox. And that's what we're here to talk about. The numbers from the CDC as of mid-August show some 39,000 cases worldwide, about a third of which, or some 13,000, are in the United States. There have been a dozen deaths worldwide uh, this year, uh, and half have occurred in Africa. Uh, we've invited uh, two clinicians from New York who are familiar with epidemics to give us a more clinical perspective on things. Dr. Eric Meyerowitz is uh, an assistant professor in the Department of Medicine, Infectious Diseases, at uh, Montefiore Medical Center in Bronx, New York. And Dr. Stephen Baum is Senior Advisor for Student Affairs and Professor of Medicine and Microbiology and Immunology, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Bronx, New York, and a longtime contributor to NEJM Journal Watch Infectious Diseases. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Meyerowitz, uh, I'm told that you see a lot of uh, patients with monkeypox infections, and New York is, uh, is an epicenter of this outbreak. Uh, what, what raises a suspicion of a case? And clinically, is it easily missed? And what, what would you tell cl clinicians to be on the lookout for? Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yes, we, it's certainly true we're seeing a lot of cases right now, and there's definitely a spectrum of disease, and there's some heterogeneity in, pres in, in the presentations that we're seeing. So I think you definitely do need to maintain a high index of, of suspicion. Uh, the main features that lead people to present to care are severe rectal pain, severe pharyngeal or throat pain, and the rash, uh, though not everyone has all three of these findings. So the, the illness course for most people that we're seeing begins with some general systemic symptoms, often including fever, muscle aches, or headache. And then the skin lesions often come a few days after those symptoms, although we've also seen them happen at the same time. And we've seen several individuals who've had no systemic symptoms with just some isolated skin lesions. Typically, the skin lesions have been in the genitals, so either on or near the penis or around the anus or in both locations. And uh, in most cases, though, though not all, we've seen them spread to other parts of the body. Often there's been associated, uh, there's been associated adenopathy, which is either painful or painless. The most common areas that I've seen is inguinal, inguinal adenopathy, anterior cervical adenopathy, and submandibular adenopathy. You know, and since, since seeing a first of the, the few early cases that we saw here, I've been worried about the possibility of auto-inoculation as part of the way the lesions disseminate. So one of the things that I counsel my patients early on uh, is, is not to touch the skin lesions um, or if they need to, to wear some gloves or, or if they weren't wearing gloves, definitely to be washing their hands afterwards. And I've been counseling my asymptomatic patients in our STI clinic as well about this potential risk because you know I think anyone who's seeing a rash now should, should be aware of, of that possibility. So early on, the skin lesions have, have looked many different ways. So it's not just those, uh, you know, classic umbilicated papules, which I, which I think are, are, are pretty easy to, to identify. But we've also things, we've seen things that look like tiny red bumps, things that look more vesicular. What is helpful is later on, they, they tend to crust in this very characteristic way. So after you've seen a few cases, you know, it, it's, it's something that, that's pretty easily identifiable and, and um, you know, and, and it's, it's something, something to look out for. But, but obviously that, that's, only, that's only happening af after several days. 
all the patients, uh, I think another important feature of the of the current outbreak that we're seeing is is all the patients that I've seen have been men who have sex with men. And so I think this is, this is a key epidemiologic feature and and something that that you know is is really important to to be aware of as as you're caring for for uh, for for patients. And so you know I, I think to summarize it as 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 clinicians what what to look for, uh, certainly a genital rash or or a genital rash that is more generalized, with, particularly if there are if there are any of those systemic symptoms. And very, very important if, if there is any associated proctitis or pharyngitis, that should absolutely raise suspicion for, for monkeypox virus infection. The course of the illness, is it, uh, how prolonged is it in your experience? So, so many or actually most of the patients that I'm seeing are being treated with, with uh, we're, we're, we're treating them with, with, uh, with ticaviramat, which is also called T-pox. So, you know, and it's, it's not yet known if this is attenuating the, the, the illness. I, I'm hoping that it is. But, but what I've seen for, for most of those patients who have recovered is, is an illness of around two weeks. So that includes this prodromal period of, you know, up to three to five days. And then, and then the, the rash really does, does evolve over you know, over, over, over about that time. So, so, so the point that people are leaving isolation is somewhere around two weeks. We have seen some people also who seem to recover very, very quickly, but you know, I, I think the, the average is closer to those 14 days. So it's been in the news uh, today and for the past several days that vaccines against monkeypox are in short supply. So what are you telling uh, your patients who are coming to you and saying, how do I get vaccinated against this thing? Yeah, so so the you know the New York City Department of Health here here in New York has been distributing the vaccines as they receive them. They've they've been only receiving kind of small quantities at a time, and and the vaccine appointments when when they go live, they're they're often gone within you know within ten minutes or so. So you know I think it's been clear that there is a massive shortage of vaccines. Uh, however, in the last in the last two weeks. Uh, there seem to be more, and the and the Department of Health that has actually been able to distribute vaccines to some community partners, including some clinics like our own. Um, so, so I think there there is more vaccine supply, and we've been told that there's going to be more and more even over the upcoming weeks. For people who are looking for vaccines, the first place to go is to contact their providers because they may have access either through their own clinic or through affiliated clinics. And and also to look on the New York City Department of Health website or the Twitter accounts where there are frequent updates. Um, and uh, as we noted earlier, there have been just a few deaths uh, from monkeypox. But w- what are the most common uh, complications of, of the illness and uh, what management strategies would you recommend people use to, to mitigate those, those complications? Yeah, so, so uh, you know, I, I think, I think fortunately, even, even though the, there's a huge amount of suffering that, that, I, that this is causing a huge amount of pain, uh, uh, we're not seeing tons of people who need to be hospitalized. There are, there are definitely some, but the vast majority of people are, be, are able to be managed as outpatients. The, a couple of the deaths were, were due to encephalitis. I fortunately have not seen a, have not seen a case of encephalitis. But the, the most common things that, that really are leading people to, to present are this extremely painful proctitis and this pharyngitis. So I've had numerous patients tell me that, that whether they have pain at one or both sites, that they're unable to sleep at night because the pain is so bad. I had someone tell me the other day that, uh, that the pharyngeal pain felt like swallowing glass. Um, you know, and, 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 I, and, and I've had you know, people who have, who have known what, what, rectal, what anorectal herpes feels like, who, who've, who've described the proctitis that they're experiencing from, from monkeypox virus infection to, to be the most severe proctitis that they've ever experienced. 
So, you know, I, I think the pain is really what's most uh, what's most noticeable and and what's most traumatic for for the people that are experiencing it. So, um, anybody who's having those symptoms are eligible uh, for for ticavirumab, also called TPOX. That's the antiviral that we're using. Uh, as I understand, there are going to be some some randomized control trials that are going to be stepped up uh, within the next within the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, currently, not all providers are able to prescribe it. It's it's prescribed through an IND with the CDC, and there there are many and 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 a growing list of, of providers who who are able to do this. You know, I, I can't say anything about efficacy, obviously, based on my anecdotal experience treating about 15 patients so far, but I can say that it's really well tolerated. So there do not seem to be significant side effects. And so, you know, I, I think that it's been an important tool that that we've been that we've been offering people. In terms of managing the pain, so for the rectal pain, you know, I think we're, we're making sure that everyone uh, everyone is not constipated. So if, if laxatives are needed, uh, we've been working, we've been using those. Also using uh, viscous lidocaine for, for the pharyngeal pain. We've been also been recommending rectal lidocaine formulations as, you know, as kind of topical anesthetics. Um, additionally, I think it's important to point out we have seen some co-infections. So, uh, you know, so I think it's important to exclude syphilis, herpes, gonorrhea, chlamydia infections, and obviously to treat those if, if that's found. You know, one other, one other important complication I have not personally seen, but other, others of my colleagues have, have noted is ocular involvement. So in those cases, ticaveramet would be would be recommended. In addition, uh, in addition, the recommendation would be to use trifluoridine eye drops. Um, and and anecdotally, I've heard people have had have had good experience with with that. So you know, in general, I think uh, it's really important to be in close contact with the people who are experiencing monkeypox virus infection and to help them manage, but really just to manage these incredibly difficult symptoms because uh, there's a there's a huge amount of pain and suffering that that people are experiencing from this. All right, thank you. And, and Dr. Baum, you've written an interesting essay uh, giving a historical perspective on, on this epidemic, uh, comparing it with, with others we've uh, recently and not so recently experienced. And we'll focus on that in a, in a separate interview. <clears throat> but as an educator and an infectious disease expert, what can you uh, tell the, your medical students and uh, other clinicians who are uh, encountering an epidemic for the first time? Well, first, I'd like to say that my colleague, uh, Dr. Marowitz, has done a wonderful job of summarizing the clinical aspects of this uh, outbreak. Um, there are a lot of sort of psychopolitical aspects of this outbreak uh, as well. I think the, the world population is, is tired of outbreaks and I guess has never realized that we live in a sea of germs that are just waiting to infect us. And monkeypox is not new to the world, but is relatively new to the United States. And I think that one of the teaching points to medical students were, is uh, a quote that I like to use, that uh, no man is an island. Uh, we are all very susceptible to infections that others have had. Uh, airline travel has made it a matter of hours uh, between the time that somebody's infected with something and the time that they can transmit it to someone in this country, uh, the measure of, of, of contagion. And so uh, these things can move fast. They will move fast. They don't need uh, visas or passports. And uh, we have to be aware that anything that happens anywhere in the country that's an infectious disease is transmissible here. 
Another important factor, I think, is there's been a lot in the press, and every time you turn on a, a reporter on TV, they make a big issue of the fact that, quote, this is not a sexually transmitted disease. Now, I, I think they're doing themselves and the population a, a, a tremendous disservice, although I understand why they're doing it. So it harkens back to the AIDS beginning of the AIDS epidemic, uh, where everybody thought that one had to be gay uh, to transmit this, and it was something about being gay that allowed you to get this disease and transmit it. And in, in a way, uh, that may be true, but it's important to point out it's not what your proclivities are, it's what your activities are. And I think uh, Eric has pointed out that currently many of his patients and everybody else's patients are men who have sex with men. And so I believe it is a sexually transmitted disease. If you went to a textbook and had a list of sexually transmitted diseases, you would not find monkeypox. But I think to deny that route of transmission, particularly in this country where it seems to be paramount, really messes things up in terms of practicing good epidemiologic. Uh, if you take that expression to, the, to its fullest, that this is not a sexually transmitted disease, it forces the people who are, forces them, induces the people who are in the midst of this transmission uh, environment to think, well, it doesn't really matter what I do sexually. And that could not be further from the truth. And uh, Dr. Baum, you've published uh, a summary in Journal Watch Infectious Diseases just a, a day or two ago, uh, and speaking of roots of transmission, about uh, fomites in, in the case in, uh, I think it was Dallas, right. it, which, which may have been the index case in the United States, where virus particles, viable virus particles were found on surfaces two weeks after the uh, after the patient who was infected had left the apartment, um, that we 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 know that uh, that smallpox blankets were distributed to to Native Americans, um, uh, you know, centuries ago, uh, and and that was a very effective and uh, murderous uh, uh, strategy. I wonder if if uh, monkeypox being related to smallpox uh, would would have the same kind of um, not lethal effect, but the same kind of transmissibility on fomites. Well, that's that's why I picked that paper to review, and why I actually asked the editors to expedite review because I thought that was an incredibly important and, and new fact, although as you point out, we shouldn't have been surprised about it. Uh, they both, both smallpox and monkeypox are part of the orthopox viruses. They're very, very similar. Uh, and so this demonstrated just, you've you described it perfectly, that this virus is found uh, two weeks after uh, no one was there to spread it. And uh, its ability to spread infection is, is, has not been quantitated yet, uh, but it's certainly the possibility is there and it raises a whole new concept of getting patients who we see with monkeypox to make sure they don't share bedding with other people, uh, that they don't share clothes with other people, that they don't share towels with other people, something that I don't think anybody's paid much attention to up to now. 
maybe yeah. I'm doing Dr. Marowitz a disservice because he's been telling people that all along. But I, I know that it's not been in the current current talking about this this disease, and I think it it has to be. A mutual colleague of you both, the Dr. Barry Zingman, uh, has written a three or four page briefing um, for patients, and it's entitled "Monkeypox: What You Need to Know." And I'll put a link to that uh, in, in this in this podcast. Is there anything else you'd suggest that clinicians might uh, refer their patients to or themselves to for for deeper reading about uh, about this? I think that's a great resource, but you know the you you also referenced the New England Journal article with the with the major report from the sixteen countries. I I also think the the case records uh, from from uh, from a, a few weeks ago of the first case from Massachusetts has some really helpful pictures. So actually, I've been with my patients who don't have monkeypox. I've been pulling up both of those to kind of go through uh, what this what the rash can can look like. And I think I think those sort of pictures have been really really helpful. Okay, I'll I'll, uh, I'll link to both those uh, in, in in the podcast as well. Well, I want to thank you both uh, for for your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was the 301st edition of Clinical Conversations, all of which are available free at podcasts.jwatch.org. We come to you from the writers and editors of the NEJM Group. Our executive producer is Kristen Kelly, and I'm Joe Elia. Thanks for listening.